Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 90. So beyond the medical tests and appointments and treatments and side effects, what has this cancer journey been like so far for me? Well, it turns out that it's a lot of what I expected and a lot that I didn't expect, especially when it comes to the complex emotions and feelings that I'm experiencing on a daily basis. Welcome back to The Healing Catalyst, my friends. I'm really glad to be back with you and a bit nervous and a bit excited about this episode because today I'm joined by my son, Zane, and it's a really special episode for so many reasons because he's finally on the podcast with me. This is episode 90 after all, because he's interviewing me and because I'm sharing so much about this cancer journey, this journey of healing cancer in my body in a really, really honest and vulnerable way. But first, a little bit about Zane, because I'm also a really proud mama and I need to brag a little. <laughs> I can admit that. Zane Singh is currently finishing his master's degree in counseling and psychology at Northwestern University, and he'll be graduating in just a few months in August of 2023. After studying computational media at Scripps College, Zane went on to work at Bank of America as a global information security analyst. However, after just 15 months, Zane realized that his real passion and interest was in working with people in a much more direct way. Now, Zane is dedicated to helping support and care for others by providing somatic, psychodynamic, and emotion-focused approaches to therapy. As a queer, trans, and South Asian therapist, Zane works from intersectional and anti-racist philosophies. He's passionate about working with the LGBTQ community to support the journey towards self-acceptance, integration, and reclamation of body, mind, spirit, pleasure, and joy. Upon graduation from his master's program, Zane will be working as a clinical therapist at Center Focus Therapy in Chicago. In our conversation, Zane and I talk about my cancer journey thus far and how I'm feeling. We also explore something I've been thinking about a lot lately, this idea of but and also, of holding two emotions, two feelings at the same time. I share the deep inquiry that I've been in surrounding the feelings of anger and gratitude, of isolation and connection, of shame and freedom and of guilt and relief. And you'll hear Zane ask me some really difficult questions to really push me to share even more vulnerably about these deep feelings of loss and grief that are the undercurrent of all of these dual emotions, the but and also. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm both nervous and excited about this episode as it's deeply personal on so many levels, including it being a very special heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my son. I'm so honored to share with you my conversation with Zane Singh, my beautiful son, about my cancer healing journey thus far. Well, Zane, my child, my son, I'm so so thrilled to have you on the podcast. First of all, this is your first appearance on my podcast, and this is episode 90, and you're finally on the podcast, which is super cool. But I'm also really grateful to you because you said yes to doing this, because we're going to be talking about my cancer journey so far and some of the things that I've experienced. And I'm really humbled for a lot of reasons, because you are, you know, and this is a mom brag, I can go ahead and say that right now, but you know, you're almost done with your master's program and you're going to be a clinician in just a few months, two months actually. And I'm, I'm so excited and you're going to be the most amazing therapist. And so 
it's just for so many reasons really special to have you on this podcast with me. So thank you for doing this with me, Zane. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I feel I feel lucky to be able to do it. So thank you. Thank you. And you didn't have to say that, but <laughs> thank you for saying that. It's true. It's true. Thank you. And so, you know, we were talking a little bit over the past few weeks about my cancer journey so far and me sharing on the podcast. And really the idea for this of having you sort of interview me in a way and have a conversation with me came out of those conversations because I really wanted to share about my cancer journey in a way that felt authentic and real. But it's also hard to talk into a void by yourself (laughs) about yourself. And so hopefully this will be really helpful for people who are listening because you're going to kind of drive the conversation. So I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you take it away from here. Um, Tell me how you're feeling currently. So, you know, I'm I'm feeling good. It's been a while (laughs) of doing these these treatments. I just finished cycle five. And so maybe I should back up for a second and just tell people who maybe have not heard sort of what's going on with me. Yeah. And also for all of you who are listening, who may not have context for this, I did record a very short episode, which is linked in the show notes. We'll link it there about my unexpected diagnosis. It's a very short episode. But for those of you who may not know, I was sorry, let me use the correct language. My body was diagnosed with cancer in February of this year, mid-February. And it has been a whirlwind since then of tests and labs and imaging and biopsies and all kinds of things. And basically coming to the decision to have a healing team that is integrative. I'm taking an integrative approach to my healing journey. So I have a medical oncologist, an integrative oncologist, my breast surgeon, and a whole bunch of other people, a lot of integrative healers, acupuncture, energy healing, nutrition, everything. All of the things that I have been doing in my life, all of the connections that I've had to all these amazing people, they're all helping me on this journey. And I made the decision after speaking to a lot of them, a lot of my friends and colleagues who are in integrative medicine, and as well as my medical team, my healing team, uh, that I was going to go ahead with chemotherapy. I was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, stage two, three, infiltrating ductal carcinoma, very treatable form of breast cancer. And I don't have a family history and I have no genetic disposition. I have no genetic markers for breast cancer. And so this is a spontaneous mutation that has happened. And so I have already completed five out of eight rounds of chemotherapy. They are dose dense every two weeks. It's a very aggressive treatment schedule. A month after I finish my chemotherapy, I will be having surgery. I've chosen to do a bilateral mastectomy. And after that, I will probably need a few weeks of radiation. And so it is going to be a full six to eight months of treatment in this journey. So that's kind of where I am. And back to your question (laughs) of how I'm feeling. So given that I'm on cycle five of eight, I'm tired. I'm tired. You know, everybody in our family and a lot of my close friends who have been really holding my hand through this. We were all so excited after I finished the fifth one. It's like, hey, you're halfway done with chemotherapy, which is really the hardest part of the treatment, the most exhausting, the most challenging with side effects and everything. And I was really excited for about a day. You saw me the day after my last cycle and you guys were all like, my God, mom, you have so much energy, which I did um, because I'm on the second half of chemotherapy, which is four treatments of, with Taxol, which is a little less fatiguing than the first four treatments, which was what they call AC or adriamycin and cyclophosphide, um, which is much, much more exhausting. Like I couldn't get out of bed for four weeks, for eight weeks of those, those treatments. Uh, but then on two days after my last cycle, I started to get a lot of the myalgias, a lot of the muscle pain, body ache. Some a little bit of neuropathy in my hands and feet that I could feel, feeling nausea, 
I've had some treatment complications with some dental issues that I'm having, which also chemotherapy makes worse. So all this to say that last weekend, um, I had a complete meltdown (laughs) and just was feeling so fatigued. And so just like, when is this going to end? And all of the sort of questions of why me and feeling sort of having this pity party for myself, that was where I was. So it's kind of a mixed bag. And today now we're on what, you know, day eight. I'm feeling a lot better. I mean, I'm still tired, but yeah, I feel okay. All those muscle aches and neuropathies are gone. But it's such a roller coaster. It's a lot of up and down. You know this thing. You've been coming over a few times a week, bringing me food. Like you talk to me every day. You know this. So that's kind of how I'm feeling. Yeah, it's really testing your faith in yourself, it sounds like. Yeah, it's testing my faith. That's an interesting way of saying it. It's testing my faith in myself, my faith in what I believe about myself, but also what I believe about medicine. (laughs) <laughs> about Western medicine that I trained in, about Ayurveda that I trained in, about all the practices I do. It's sort of calling into question everything in my life. And that has been really challenging. And I feel like now, eight weeks in to the treatments, to the chemotherapy treatments, it's been more than that since I was diagnosed. But eight weeks into the treatments, now I'm really, really starting to sit with myself and get really, really quiet and really ask myself those questions. So that inquiry has become even louder than before. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of interesting because I heard this recently that the first early years of our life, if you believe in spiritual practice or if you believe in reincarnation and learning lessons, right? The first early years of our lives are like a review of the lessons we've learned. So it's kind of like, we're given these tests, but it's it's easy for us to pass the test because it's just reviewing what we've already learned previous lifetimes. But by the middle, you know, it's different for every person, but as you get older, the real lessons and the real tests of this lifetime show up. And I, when I heard that, I thought of you because I was like, you're really in the midst of that for yourself right now, you know? Yeah. And not to say that you haven't had that before, but yeah, right now it's a big challenge. Yeah. No, that's... Um... That's actually really interesting that you're saying to me that you haven't shared that with me before in our conversations, but I have to take a second to think about that because that lands pretty strongly in my heart um, and rings very true to me in this deep place. Like I can feel a lot of truth to that because, you know, a lot of the questions of why me have been coming up and, you know, we were actually going to talk about this idea of you know, this idea of but and also of holding two things, right? And so it actually goes to this first point of of the but and also of feeling anger and gratitude at the same time. How am I holding those at the same time? And so this idea that you're talking about the first part of life being a review of lessons, and then this middle part of life that I'm in now being the new lessons, perhaps is a little helpful with this anger piece because I have spent a lot of time, especially in the past few weeks, really feeling a lot of the depth of the anger of why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? I went into the healing profession. I have been helping people my whole life. I've been a caretaker for my family, whether it's my parents, my sister, my children, my husband, my in-laws, my extended family, right? I am a caretaker. I'm always there for people. And it's sort of like, really? Why is this happening to me? I thought that that would be enough. I don't know enough for what. And so perhaps the point that you're making is that that was all part of my earlier years of life, of that caretaking, that healing, being a physician and helping patients and students on their healing journeys in a certain way reviewing the lessons from past life, because it's not that I haven't had challenges. And Zane, you know, many of the ones that we have, we've been through many of the challenges together as a family. Uh, but that's really, that's really hitting my heart in a way that that's very true. And that perhaps now being shown a cancer diagnosis in my body is for new lessons and perhaps to take me to the next part of my life, the next iteration of me the next 
you know, type of work that I'm going to do. Not that it's not going to be in the same healing profession, but maybe I'm going to do it differently or show up differently or have another book, which is coming or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I wonder too how it's been for you to hold anger because I feel like in our family, that's not something we do successfully. <laughs> We're not very good about holding anger well. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I know I'm very afraid of it. I don't really like it. I think from multiple perspectives, right? Not just a spiritual perspective, but just in general, it's like it goes against everything that I know to be true, to be like kind person, right? Like being angry feels violent for me. And I wonder how you've been sitting with anger. It's hard. It's a hard one. It's not an easy emotion to feel. No, it's not. And, you know, I don't know that I'm the best modeling anger or healthy anger. I haven't been for you, for your little sister, Isha, for, you know, people around me. I have always held in a lot of anger. That's something I know to be true, which is, you know, another reason that I know that part of this cancer diagnosis is related to not feeling my feelings in the way that perhaps I, or not allowing myself to feel the range of all my feelings, not, not allowing them to sit with me and being okay with the fact that I feel that because like you're saying, and I've probably passed this down to you. Uh, anger. And I don't even know that Nani and Nana, Nani and Nana are your grandparents, my parents, um, ever said that anger is not okay. But I think I probably got societally and socially and culturally that anger is not something we show to other people. Like I was programmed that way. Right. Because I don't know that I ever said to you, don't feel anger or it's not okay to feel anger. Right. No, no, you didn't. I th- it's I think it's just the way that it's um like the way that you and dad express it right it's it's either we stuff it and then it explodes right which again like none of this is bad right I think everybody is learning how to deal with emotions the ways that they're going to learn how to deal with them and we all get modeled what we're modeled from a young age through our parents so I'm not there's no blame or shame or any of that from me to you and I think right like to your point about feeling the full range of emotional experiences, I think it's interesting that you say that because from, again, going back, I'm going back to the spiritual perspective because I know that that's something we relate on a lot. And that's been a lot of our journey together has been sort of a spiritual journey. But I think right from like a more spiritual and esoteric perspective, not feeling the emotions right, literally in our energy field, right, they get stuck. Right. We bring them out to the surface when they start to show up, literally. And then when we don't feel that, they go right back in. Right. And then it builds. So even on on an energetic perspective, right, and from that spiritual and esoteric perspective, you're not allowing it to move out of your system and to to clean or purify right, your system in the way that you maybe need to or want to in this lifetime. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's something I've been thinking about. Yeah. No, so and absolutely. Ahead. And it's, it's absolutely true because it's the energetic body. It's actually something that Amy Wheeler, who you know, Amy Wheeler and I talked about on the last podcast episode, which we'll link in the show notes about processing emotional toxins, processing emotional feelings, and that they do get tucked away in the energy centers. And so what you're saying is actually taking it one step further that these feelings come up, whether it's anger, sadness, joy, whatever it is. And because there's also that feeling of, I can't be too happy. I can't be too joyful, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, maybe I'm mm-hmm. showing off to other people or, you know, it's too much pride or something like that, right? So it's not just yeah. about the, quote, perceived negative emotions. It's also, which most people don't think about, is the perceived positive emotions as well. We're afraid to actually express them and feel them to their fullest potential. But yeah. what you're saying is that these feelings come up, they come out to sort of be expressed almost like halfway out of us in our auric field. And then we stuff them right back in. So they have nowhere to go, but because it's energy, they get stuck in our energy centers, our chakras, which is exactly what we say in Ayurveda and yoga therapy is that these emotions get stuck in our body in these energy centers. And if the energy body is the blueprint for the physical body, then eventually it's going to cause problems that are going to show up on the physical level and they start subtly and then they become 
more and more obvious. And so in my own personal experience, perhaps the anger, which I mean, it's not even perhaps, I, I know that the anger that I did not express fully and actually even the joy and the happiness for fear that it would be taken away or someone would think that I was boasting about my life or being prideful in some way, stuffing those feelings probably had very subtle symptoms. And again, you teach what you need to learn, right? I'm being shown this every day because this is what I teach everyone on this podcast. This is what (laughs) my work is about, that I have then stuffed those emotions down. These symptoms have shown up very, very subtly. And maybe I dealt with them a little bit, not enough. And eventually it led to a mutation, a spontaneous mutation that caused breast cancer. And here I am. So yeah, I mean, I think this idea of anger, but then, you know, the flip side of that, the but and also, right, of holding the mm-hmm. gratitude at the same time. And how can I feel gratitude? Because, you know, I will tell you that now being in the position I am as a patient, it is really hard to he- hear people say, well, cancer is a gift. I just want to be like, well, F you. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. It's hard. Yeah. It yeah. sucks. And yeah, I'll get to the place where I can see it as a gift a few months from now, a few years from now. But right now, when someone says that to me, I like literally just, I need to like walk away because I'm, I get so upset. It hits me. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of something my, (laughs) my therapist said, and I think I told you this, but my therapist told, told me that, and I might butcher it. So I apologize, but that hindsight is the ability for us to put emotional experiences to things that we couldn't really understand or put words to when we were actually going through it, right? So hindsight is being able to put emotional language to something that we didn't realize was sort of happening in the moment. And I, I think I hear like, you're not in that place of having hindsight yet. And I wouldn't expect you to either, right? Yeah. It's- and I can't right now, even though I want to be that person. And this goes back to the anger of stuffing those feelings of trying to always be the person that's like, okay, I can take it. I can do it. I'll, I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm, gonna, I'm on the spiritual path. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to be okay with stuffing the anger down. <laughs> but that's not spiritual evolution because I think we as humans are meant to feel all the emotions, right? And so this idea that I can like hear someone say to me that, well, cancer is a gift right now. I can't see it. Right. But at the same yeah. time, I have been able to have some gratitude and, and I'll tell you what happened. Now you Zane have not been going with me for treatments because I don't want my kids to be coming uh, to my treatments with me. I've been really clear with you and Isha that that's not where I want. I want you guys to be at home with me, but not at the hospital. But I remember the first treatment that I went to for chemotherapy and I was checking in and then some other people were checking in and they ask a set of questions when they're checking you in. And I overheard this very nice woman who was behind me, but I could tell she has already had a few chemotherapy treatments just because of her hair loss. She looked quite tired and she was very familiar with the place. Like I was there for my first treatment. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, oh my gosh, where am I? What am I doing? And I remember the receptionist asking her, did you have any trouble getting here? Did you have any trouble? Do you have someone to go home with you, et cetera? And I just remember being so struck by what this woman said and the way that she said it. And I then saw her inside the infusion suite and she, I overheard her saying like, I'm just so grateful to be here for my treatment. I didn't know if I would be able to afford this. And I put all the pieces together. And in that moment, I had so much gratitude because of course I know this, but me in a very real way that while I was so busy feeling sorry for myself that I had to go through chemotherapy and I was so fearful, all the emotions that I should feel that I am supposed to feel as a human being. At the same time, I also had the gift, the gratitude that I was able to make the choice to have chemotherapy, that I don't have to worry about the financial piece because I have really good health insurance through your dad, you know, through for our family that I can afford to have these treatments. And so having this gratitude 
for the ability to make choices about what my treatment is. And also the gratitude for being as educated as I am as a healing professional, as a physician, and being able to speak the language of the physicians and ask really, really specific questions and question the treatment plan and push back. Most people don't do that and can't do that because they don't have the language, they don't have the know-how, they don't have the background, even though they have every right to do that. And so what I'm trying to say is that holding this anger and the gratitude right there that felt that but and also, I started to experience it from the very, very first chemotherapy treatment. And this idea of sort of the cancer journey that I've been on is this, this recurring theme of but and also. <laughs> I don't know. I just went off on a tangent, but yeah. So the gratitude was, that was an interesting one for me to be able to hold those two anger and gratitude together. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like too, discovering a sense of agency or authority, maybe authority is the wrong word, but more agency, right? Over how you choose to respond in, you know, an infusion suite or with your doctors or how you choose to respond to your anger. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. how do we make sense of agency in that? Because we do have a choice, right? Like, you could act out of fear, or you could act out of violent anger or rage, which, you know, everyone has their journey with it. But I think it also is acknowledging the fact that we have agency. That's, I think, an important piece in what I'm hearing you say about holding both, right? Because you also can choose when to hold your anger and when to hold your gratitude, right? Or how to hold both right? Even not the choice and agency. Right. And you also can get stuck in one or the other. And again, I'm not saying that these are like, you know, for everybody, but for me, from my experience, I've the anger and the gratitude are two that I'm holding simultaneously. And I'm, I'm thinking about those together, but I could have easily gotten stuck in the anger and just stayed there, which again, there's no judgment, but I don't know that it would help me. Right. Well, and I think that's maybe where like spiritual teachings get difficult for a lot of people to understand because I think when we at first interpret like don't ever feel anger right or don't ever attach to something right we're thinking about it from a black and white perspective right it's like saying I can never get attached to holding a cup of water right like that example that we're always given of I can hold this glass of water and take a sip from it and attach to it when I need to but then put it down right that is fluid Right. There's there's a gray area. And same thing with anger, same thing with any basic emotion. Right. There has to be room for us to be able to hold multiple things at once or to have a both and situation. And in my program, we call it both and, but it's the same thing. Right. It's not black and white thinking where it's either this or that. Right. Or I'm a spiritual person or I'm never I'm not on a spiritual path if I feel an emotion. Right. All of it is supposed to exist for a reason. Right. We're here to collect experiences from, again, from a spiritual perspective to help us move forward in the evolution of us as the soul, right? But we can't do that if we're so focused on like never feeling anything, right? Or never sharing the gifts that we have, right? Or never going through hardship. It's just not how it works. How do you expect to evolve if you're not in hardship, right? Or you're not learning how to balance emotion. Right. Well, you have nothing to, to compare to. Like if you don't ever feel anger, then how do you know what the opposite of anger is, whatever that might be for you, right? So right. I think you're making a really good point. You know, there's a couple that I wrote down of the but and also's. The next one that I wanted to talk about is isolation and connection. Because it's been a really interesting paradox in a way to feel. Because on the one hand, There is this isolation because at the end of the day, I'm going through this in my body, my soul. Like I'm going through the cancer treatment. My body is going through the cancer treatment, right? Feeling alone and also kind of feeling pissed off that everyone around me, the people who love me the most, you, your sister, your dad, your grandparents, all of my friends, right? Get to go on with their lives. And I know it's only for a short amount of time, but you guys get to travel. You get to go to the parties. You get to continue, you know, writing your books or doing whatever it is. And I'm saying writing your books because I've had to pause mine, right? But even, you know, colleagues are being able to go speaking and all these things that I had all lined up, everything got canceled. Like suddenly my schedule, 
I've been joking with all of you guys. Like my job right now is to sleep <laughs> and rest. Right. It is. And it's really hard for a person like me who's been so about creating and helping and and being there for other people and and caretaking for so long. It's really hard to suddenly have a schedule where I don't even know what day it is sometimes, you know? Um, well, the question I would ask you for that is, how do you define your worth? Right. Do you only view yourself as worthy if you're caring for other people? Right. And what were the ways that you learned how to care for people out of fear of losing them, out of, we call it trauma responses, right? Because you also did from the very small amount of knowledge I have about your childhood, you grew up in a lot of uncertain circumstances and you were forced to grow up way early, right? So how do you, right? You, you learn from an early age that your worth is defined by caring. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and touche, you totally hit the nail on the head. That is how I, my identity has always been as a caregiver, as someone who just gets shit done, who takes responsibility for things, who you can depend on, right? Um, yeah. That has always been my role. It's also very much like part of my person, like the characteristics of my personality, the type of person I am. You know, I am a kapha pitta, which is earth fire. So I am that person that has that stability and that steadfastness and that loyalty who will always be there, but also has that fire to get things done, to take care of everything. And that is a caregiver. You know, that is the perfect personality for a caregiver and for me to go into the healing profession, right? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Yeah, which, right, like, I think that even that, there's both and, right? Mm -hmm. You you have to inhale to also exhale. (laughs) Damn, my kid dropping the... You cannot exhale. Dropping the gold. (laughs) Wow. I I tell that all the time to my patients because it's like, I deal with a lot, I work with a lot of folks who struggle with really intense, like, childhood trauma, and they're dealing with it now, the repercussions of it now. And they're always like, I just like, I struggle so much with allowing myself, like, why is it so hard for me to rest? Why, why can't I rest? Right? You know, like, I feel like I'm a bad person if I rest, right? Or if I'm not thinking about someone else, then I'm bad. And there's all this shame. And it's only that I can only be taking care of someone else. Or I can be taking care of myself, but I'm a bad person if I do that, right? There's no room for us to see, like, to take care of someone else the way that you want to. You also got to, like, chill out for yourself, right? You have to exhale to inhale and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Pretty much you just summed up your mom right there. <laughs> I mean, you've been exhaling for, like, so... I have <laughs> It's, been. like, 50 years yeah. no, of that's life, true. right? Like, yeah. No, I have been. I have been. And I think that is exactly the problem. Not that it's a problem. Again, I should use, I need to be careful of the language I use for myself because words have a lot of power, but that is sort of what is being shown to me. Again, back to what you started the episode with of, you know, the lessons that perhaps are showing up in my midlife are the new lessons. Uh, And not that I wasn't shown this lesson before, but I was also in the throes of caregiving in a lot of family situations. Yeah. I don't want to call them crises or anything. They were such situations and, and healing situations, lessons that were happening in which I did need to and wanted to take on that caregiving role. That was part of the lessons, like you said, that were going to be from a previous lifetime, perhaps, or perhaps to help you and your sister and your dad and Nani Nana and whoever else, right, learn some lessons. Like I made a contract with them, again, on a spiritual perspective, right? And now the new lessons I'm being shown are really for the evolution of me, of what I was put on this earth in this lifetime, my dharma, to really, really step into that. It's like I've been preparing for it for the last 50 years. And now, Vanti, it's time. Yeah. And I almost think it's worth reflecting on the things that you did well in past, past, I don't know, the only word that comes to mind is crises, but I guess struggles or conflicts or whatever, right? And how to use those now, right? Effectively. Because the fact that, right, you were able to 
use so much will to get like even when I don't want to, I'm gonna get up and help someone or cook a meal, right? Even small, right? Because you could have chosen to stay in bed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But and that, that willpower, I think, is also what's important here to notice that you're doing really well in your breast cancer journey, right? It's and balancing will with love, right? We talk about love as also being one of the most important energy forms to be on this planet, right? And to utilize. But balancing it, right? Like you can't only just be love and let people walk all over you, but you can't also only be will and not be able to take time to also do this in a way that's gentle. Yes. Yeah. No, that's very, very perceptive of you. And I would add to that with love is that it's also about giving love to yourself and then also projecting it outwards. And I've spent a lot of times projecting it outwards. How much have I spent projecting inward? Yeah. Right. And even, right. I guess I would say to that maybe as a counter argument, because (laughs) that's why I'm here. Yeah. Is like in order, if you think about it, right, in order to project outwards, it has to go through you. This is true. So I think it's also, it's also, right. I wonder if reframing it Mm -hmm. might be helpful too, Mm -hmm. because caring for others is caring for yourself, but it's also like, are you allowing yourself to receive what you're being given to be able to also Mm -hmm. transmit? Because you have to receive first. Yes. In order to transmit it. And I actually yeah. love how you reframe that because actually that is, that's actually what I spoke about in the, in the first podcast episode I did about my cancer journey, which is linked in the show notes, is this idea of receiving love. And so I think, and it actually leads to this next idea of connection because the but and also I have for this next one is isolation and connection. And the connection has been with others, right? I have found is, is that love energy, right? All of the love that I have put out into the world is, is coming back to me. And now can I receive it? Yeah. I've really been challenged yeah. with that. Right. And, you know, the best example I can give of this, and you've seen it, you're on the WhatsApp group. There's a WhatsApp group with our family and close friends and even extended friends. It's like, like almost 200 people, I think by now who have joined it. Uh, and the amount of love that I have been receiving through that, I am humbled by it. Like I, I can't even, I don't even know how ex- to express, but I'm taking it all in. But what I've also seen is that it's not just the connection with these people from all times and parts of my life, but also the connection between all of them that I've seen, mm. which is really, really interesting. People are connecting that maybe hadn't been in contact in a while, but knew me in college and they all knew each other or, you know, worked together or whatever it is, they're connect, even family members connecting with each other in ways that they haven't in a long time. And there's a lot of, I love you, love you, you can do this. And it's like, I almost feel like people are also saying it to each other. I don't know if you have felt that or that yeah i i remember being really overwhelmed i think in a good way by because i'm in that group too and it was like my phone was buzzing for like hours non-stop right when it was first done and i just was like oh my god like there's wow like look at look at the love that so many people have it's honestly hard to perceive like i was like oh my god like how does it's crazy right but i think the point that you're getting at is also this like unity consciousness that we talk a lot about and it's really hard to understand because it's like well we can say on this abstract level that we're all one and stuff but it's really it's hard to validate that unless you've had some kind of deep inner experience with that but i think from a more grounded perspective of what you're sharing unity consciousness is like right the way that people are connected to each other and the ways that they're also sharing love with each other right it's it's that's i didn't even think about that until you you said it and it's really it's quite amazing. Yeah. It brought me to tears. It still brings me to tears to think about it. And every time I see messages popping up, it'll be, you know, five or six people will all of a sudden start messaging. And there's so much love. And I know that many of these people are connecting outside of this WhatsApp group because they've told me. It's really interesting. So holding those two things of that connection. So I, you know, will pick up my phone and see these ma- messages of these WhatsApp messages or Someone will text me and say, I'm dropping off soup for you or 
can I come, you know, hang out with you and bring you a cup of coffee or bring you whatever you feel like eating or just come and have tea with you, right? That happens a lot. So holding that at the same time, holding this deep isolation, this feeling of isolation, it has been a really, really interesting paradox to be in. So I, I don't know that I ever thought about how much you can feel so connected and so isolated at the same time. You know, the idea of, you know, feeling, uh, being with people, but feeling alone. I've thought about that, but this connection, isolation idea, I know it's related. It might just be semantics, but I see them differently. It's been really profound for me. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think a lot about like, how do we understand ourselves in relation to a group, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, we talk a lot about in, about that in group therapy stuff, but it's also something that I've been working on in therapy for myself. Of, I have a hard time feeling like I can be connected or be, be maybe it's be more myself in a group of other people, right? And be more honest with myself. And I feel like for me, that's where my isolation tendencies go because it's easier for me to feel more authentically me or more genuinely me without the risk of rejection or abandonment or loss if I'm alone. And when I'm in this group or in connection with people, sometimes I feel like I have to put on a mask, right? So I, I also wonder about your experience with feeling like you're more connected to people and how genuinely you feel like you can be yourself in connection with people. Because with cancer treatment and chemotherapy and literally physically, right, your body looks like it's going through through treatment, right? Like those are big parts of you, right? Like it's like you have you can't not show up genuinely in mm-hmm in connection with people and how that's been for you. Well, yeah. And so you're asking me a really, really important question because I would not say that I'm, you know, not a social person. I'm an introvert, but I'm sort of probably extroverted in the sense of, you know, I chose to be a teacher and a podcaster and write a book and all these things. So obviously I have some extroverted tendencies, but I am at heart very much introverted. And I've always been social, you know, with my friends. But I think, again, you're calling me out on something or maybe calling in something for me to be aware of is that perhaps I wasn't as genuine and afraid to show who I really am. And I will say that, you know, once I turned 50, suddenly I was like, yeah, zero Fs to give. Like, I'm going to show up and I'm just going to do these things. So I was already on this path and I will tell you that has intensified in the most exponential way in the past few months of, I really have zero Fs to give and I also have zero time to waste. And so showing up fully as me in these group connection opportunities, whether it's on the WhatsApp group or when I'm talking to people, a few people coming over, a few friends or one friend at a time is showing up even more authentically as me and also showing people the full range of emotions that I'm going through. I'm not as afraid to show people how I feel. You know, I had been yeah. like, I'll give an example with you last week or this, was it this past weekend when I fully had my meltdown? I broke down with you. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I had not, I had really, really tried not to cry in front of you and Isha. I don't know why you guys know everything that's going on. It's not like, hidden any part of this chemotherapy treatment. But I didn't want to show that 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 feeling, the feeling of grief, of sadness. And you were cooking something for me and I completely broke down in your arms. Like like that was like the ugly cry stage that I was in. Yeah. And so I'm allowing myself to actually express those feelings with my friends, my family. So again, showing up as I truly am, as who I am. And so it's more genuine, feeling the range of emotions. And perhaps that's what, you know, we're kind of getting at is that when you're okay showing up with the full range of emotions of like, I'm having a shitty day. This cancer treatment really sucks. I'm really upset that I don't get to do all these things and verbalizing it and feeling it. I'm doing that with people for the first time in my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think awareness too, right? Like awareness is key with moving through something that's really hard. If you're unaware of what you're even feeling, how do you even know what you want to move towards? It's so hard. You can't even realize it, right? Like if I don't know if I'm pissed off, I I don't even know what's beyond that, right? So I think it's like, it's 
it's the awareness piece too. You're like allowing yourself to be aware mm-hmm. of what's coming up for you. Um, yeah. And even if I don't know how to put a name to it, I'm allowing myself to feel it and to see how it feels and then kind of experiment or think about it or become aware, right? And more conscious. And so actually, you know, back to something you just said about, you know, the physicality of of chemotherapy, of cancer treatment, and how literally I have to show up, like I have to show up as as I am. This goes to the next one, actually, quite interestingly, of shame and freedom of the butt and also of shame and freedom. And it specifically relates to my hair Um, because when you lose your hair in chemotherapy, suddenly everyone knows you're going through chemotherapy probably, right? Mm -hmm. And your identity becomes associated with, not becomes completely, but associated with being a cancer patient. And so for the listeners, after my first chemotherapy, I didn't lose my hair. So, and as many of you know, you've seen pictures of me. I have very long, thick hair. Uh, And after my second chemotherapy cycle, within four days, I lost all of my hair. And I have a lot of hair on my head. And Zane knows this (laughs) because he has the same kind of thick hair as I do. I lost all of my hair in four days. And I was devastated for so many reasons which I'll get to, identity, all these things. But the first reason was that, oh my God, everyone is going to look at me now as a cancer patient. Because after the first chemotherapy cycle, even though I was tired, you know, even though I was really, really having a lot of side effects, you know, on day 10, I was able to go to a restaurant that was like totally not busy, sit in a corner, and nobody would have known that I was going through chemotherapy. And I felt normal. I felt yeah. like I wasn't so isolated, like I could still go on with my life in some way. And suddenly, when I lost all my hair in four days, I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, to all of you listening, obviously I know that that would happen, you know, at some point that I would lose some hair, but I was doing some treatments, cold therapy, it's a cold cap system to try and preserve my hair. And I really had put out the intention that it was going to work. And that I was going to be okay. And the fact that it didn't, I was like, oh my God, I was crushed. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it forces you to be, I guess, aware of all the things that you're struggling with right now. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no avoidance. Yeah. Because when you look at yourself in the mirror and you look pretty normal, because if I have a baseball cap on right now, you know, nobody would necessarily think that I was going through cancer treatment. And that's only because after cycle five, I still have some hair. It's a short little pixie cut, but my hair is, you know, sticking out of the bottom of the baseball cap and around my ears. So it looks like I have like a new hairstyle. That's really what it looks like. So even though I have that going on, I still know because my hair is not long. I didn't make the choice to have a pixie cut, you know, that was sort of thrust upon me because of cancer treatment. And so I have been really forced to sit with my feelings, to sit with how I'm feeling, to not avoid this fact, to really, you know, allow myself to rest. Because if you look at yourself in the mirror and you look pretty normal, and I, you know, in general have maintained, you know, a lot of health through this process, even though I've had a lot of side effects, I still look pretty good, you know? which I'm really, really grateful for. But when you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't have the hair, even though I can look at myself in the mirror and say, yeah, you look pretty good. The hair is a reminder. You're going through something. You have to become aware. So really that awareness that you're talking about, it has forced me to be more aware and to be more accepting of where I am and not to push down the feelings. Um, so it's it's been a really, really interesting idea. And the shame, sorry, the shame piece of it is feeling really, really self-conscious and shameful about the fact that I am now a cancer patient and I am a physician who does integrative medicine and talks about healing yourself and has been doing all these practices. These are all the thoughts that were going through my head. It's like, oh my God, wait, you have all these tools and, and you have cancer? There's a lot of 
a lot of shame around that. A feeling I like I failed in some way. A feeling like, yeah. oh my gosh, does this stuff even work? Yes, of course it is. Spoiler alert, it does. I know I'm doing as well I, as I am because of all those practices, but it doesn't prevent it. But there's a lot of shame around it. And, yeah. and the hair was, was something that was, made me feel really self-conscious, like really self-conscious and shameful. Well, I think it takes your teaching and your ability to be an effective clinician to a different level because, again, I'm really tying it back to everything I've been thinking about and learning in spiritual practice. But when we talk about really intense or really advanced spiritual concepts, it can be hard to really ground them in reality unless we have an inner experience, right? And so I think in a lot of ways, too, you also get to ground this experience for yourself of using your clinical skills for something that's one of the hardest, if not the hardest physical challenge that your body can go through. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And, and also some of that shame is also cultural and an identity, which also leads to the opposite that the pair I have here is shame and freedom. So let me back up for a second. You know, in our culture as South Asians, there's a very strong identification of beauty around hair, especially for women. And I, since I was a little kid, have had very thick, luscious, beautiful hair. And I've always been complimented on that. It's part of my identity. Everyone knew me as the tall South Asian woman with the long hair, the beautiful curly hair, wavy hair, whatever, the thick hair, however they wanted to say that. So there's the cultural piece, you know, of seeing every Bollywood film with these women with th thick, luscious, beautiful hair and, you know, the cultural ideas of beauty and oiling your hair. Nani used to oil my hair every week. I mean, there's a whole culture, like a whole thing around that. And so then I think also part of the shame was not only that people would now see me as a cancer patient, but also feeling like, oh my gosh, part of my identity, part of my beauty is gone. Yeah. But at the same time, but and also there was so much freedom in it. I can't yeah. even yeah. tell you not having to spend an hour drying my hair, not having my hair be <laughs> wet for three hours after I dry it. Like there is so much freedom in that, right? I mean, I, it's been really, really interesting in some ways of just being able to put a baseball hat, you know, just comb my hair and put a baseball hat on and go. You know, those are like sort of the practical things, but also sort of like this lightness because my hair was heavy for the first time in light, my life feeling cold on my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of freedom. So holding those two, the freedom from those cultural and personal identity pieces that I have lived with for 52 years. Yeah. Yeah. And the box that sometimes that puts you in. Yeah, exactly. To conform to the, yeah. Exactly. The box that get, you get put into, but then also you put yourself into, right? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. back to an earlier point you made that, you know, the the physicality of going through chemotherapy is creating this awareness, right? Not only an awareness of my feelings, but also a deep awareness of the physical identity that I've had, the identification I've had with my physical body. Um, yeah. Because again, you know, culturally, both in Western culture and in South Asian culture, women are asked to look a certain way, take up less space, all these things, you know, and I'm human. So those are all things that play in my head too. And really coming to terms with the physicality of going through something like this uh, has been challenging and great awareness and a different type of awareness. And also being on the other side as a patient versus the physician. It's been really yeah. interesting. The next sort of but and also is the idea of guilt and relief, which when I was writing these down, it was really interesting how I came to these. Again, this is also a South Asian culture thing. It's also how society 
programs us of, you know, how we're supposed to be with our family and our parents and anybody and, and having this guilt that I like quite literally physically cannot help anyone in my family or anyone else, um, with anything, especially my parents, Nani and Nana, you know, as they're getting older, like I really can't help anybody with anything. I get tired and and so there's a lot of guilt that I'm feeling around that, probably also because I've been in this caretaker role or have taken that on for myself. Mm. Um, yeah. How do you differentiate between guilt and shame? Hmm. I think shame is perhaps something that I turn inward of how I feel when I'm around other people, but the guilt is feeling. Uh, it's also inward, but it's outward also of feeling not being able to help somebody else. I don't know how to explain it. Is there a way to yeah. distinguish the two? I think so. I mean, I think a lot about shame for myself as like an inner critic thing. And then and it's usually like anger turns in turned inwards, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then I think a lot about guilt as it's like a second cousin to shame like I feel like it's a little bit more removed from an inner critic thing but it's also like I I should be doing something else for someone else but I can't you know yeah yeah the should have woulda coulda shooting all over ourselves you know all that kind of stuff you see all those memes and whatever but I think that that's true uh, but I have a lot of guilt you know I'm not the person who sits down I'm always in the kitchen I'm always helping the family and like can't do those and I also rely upon other people. Maybe that's the difference is that the shame is an inner critic. It's turned towards myself, but then the guilt is also related to how strong I feel, how capable I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Complex to think yeah. about it that way. But there is a, there is this feeling of guiltiness of not like I can't, I'm not strong enough to help other people. I'm not strong enough to take care of other people. Yeah. Which Right, with also not being able to distract yourself from the mm -hmm. physicality of your sickness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah. You have to be constantly aware of it. And then to think about having to be incapable, so to speak, you know, of helping other people is hard. Right. Yeah. But the flip side of that coin <laughs> is there's a lot of relief. Freedom mm -hmm. in that too is another word, right? But relief that I don't have to help anybody else. And I actually don't feel that I need to help anyone else right now, perhaps for the first time in my life. Like mm. literally don't feel that way. And now, you know, I'm also in the, the life stage of having grown children and no little children and having parents that are still, you know, independently living. So I'm not in a direct caretaker role. I realize that and I, you know, totally see that that is something, you know, that's a life stage I'm in. And I also don't feel like I have to do that. So there's this sense of relief of like, okay, for the first time in my life, I don't have to feel guilty because <laughs> yeah. I can't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it allows you, it's kind of, this kind of feels like it ties all the other, but, and also that you've been talking about together because not only do you have the ability to learn how to inhale as well as exhale, but it's also, right, like unity consciousness, like we were talking about, and uh, trusting other people to be there for you, right? The connection, right? It's like all of that kind of comes full circle, I think, with this one, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They all kind of come back. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really very perceptive. Yes, it does. It kind of brings them all together. And then it also leads to the last piece, which I don't know that I know the but and also for this. I'm only in the but place <laughs> of the loss. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I were talking about what the and also might be of celebration or miracles. But like I was saying in the beginning, I'm not there yet. You know, when someone says cancer is a gift, not there yet. Right now, celebration yeah. and miracles, not there yet. I see them, but I'm not there yet. And so the loss, you know, all around this feeling of loss. And I think this has come up 
a few times in relation to the other, but and also ideas that we talked about of the loss of choices, the loss of my hair, the loss of being able to work on all the projects that I was working on and teaching and seeing patients and traveling and going places and speaking, like all these things, whether it's my professional life or my personal life, I feel a lot of loss. I feel a lot of loss. Yeah. Yeah. And I think grief is a really complex emotion to sit with. And it's one that we don't really talk a lot about like besides the five stages of grief, which I think is a very rudimentary and almost callous way of thinking about an emotion that's so complex because grief will show up in so many ways all throughout our lives. You know, even if you like haven't physically lost someone, right? Or right, it'll come up at some point. Even if it's like the loss of a friend or the loss of an opportunity or even like loss of a stage of life, right? Like I think about with Isha graduating, right? Like loss of her experience at college and right like it's hard it's hard to transition into a new space of of grief or of even experience you know you have to spend the time mourning what was Mm -hmm. in order to also then move into what's next yeah and i think that's an interesting way of thinking about of mourning things and and i think i'm in that stage that piece of the grief and i don't know what you would call it from a clinical perspective i can't think of that i don't know if you know off the top of your head but the grief of that loss and sort of really questioning everything. I feel like I'm in that deep inquiry right now, that stage of really feeling it in a, in a very profound way. I don't know how, how have you been feeling grief like around this or are you, or is there a different emotion perhaps that you're feeling as my son? Yeah, I was, I was feeling grief. I mean, I think it comes in waves, you know, but I think it was especially hard at the beginning to think about the loss of what you as a mother looks like, right? But then it's almost, right, like I think the grief also allowed me to transition into just a different phase of what a mother is, right? And what you will become. It's, you know, yeah, I I think it, it just allowed me to move a little bit with the flow to think about grief, right? Like, yeah, I'm losing one version of you, but it's also, right, there's an opportunity. I think I think that's kind of, in my silly way, like why it's called morning, because there is it's also a dawn of a new day. You're, inter- you're entering this very transitional space. You have to let go of what happened in order to embrace something new. So I think that's how I've been trying to, and I'm constantly still grappling with it. Right? Like, There's always a new, even with, you know, you starting a new round of chemo it's like i don't know what's going to happen that's there's a grief even of the comfortability of what it was like the first four treatments you know and now wondering what that's going to be like for you and again it's also an opportunity and there's there is that ability to transition into a new space of mm-hmm. of opportunity yeah yeah because i had a lot of anxiety going into the fifth treatment of oh this is the new chemo drug what's my reaction going to be? It was almost like, oh, I knew what was going to happen, even though it sucked with the first four, with a stronger chemo drug, what's going to happen? And so much anxiety going into it. And so I, I can, yeah, totally relate to that. And this idea of mourning of that cycle, you know, brings it back to Ayurveda in such a beautiful way, because it's a cycle, right? It's like every day we have mourning and we're mourning. I know they're two different words, but there's something interesting about those two words being the same, spelled differently, different meanings in the dictionary, but we can mm-hmm. ascribe different meaning to it like we are right now, that every oh. morning, every night we go through morning and then we can start a new morning. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Even in, even in dawn, right, as the sun rises, even that's a transitional space into morning, you know, it's. It's very interesting to think about it from from a time and season perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot to think about. And so I feel like this is a good place for us to sort of end this episode, this conversation. We've talked about so many ideas and things that I'm thinking about. And I just want to say thank you to you for holding space for me. 
um, for mm-hmm. loving me through this, for talking to me about this, for being so open and aware and just everything. Thank you, Zane. I love you. Of course. I love you too. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.